Welcome to the Product Development Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wakeling, and in this episode, we're talking all about productivity. The rise of generative AI has cast a new light on the ways that businesses, teams, and individuals approach their workflows, whether it's creating a sample list of customer interview questions, generating example user personas, suggesting a recommended reading list for a particular topic, or asking the agent to explain something complex in simple words. The way we're working is changing. But productivity is not just about ways of optimizing workflows. The concept is also deeply rooted in our personal lives and optimizing productivity there will inevitably lead to more productivity in a business setting. Bijan Shiroki, my guest today, is passionate about the topic of productivity and even launched a new business around it called Product Monkey AI. He is also the founder of productmanagementexercises.com which provides product manager interview prep and other resources from PM experts the community of over 100,000 members. In this episode, we discussed how people can manage their time more effectively, concentrate better, as well as the right way to approach prioritization. If you find value in the conversation today, feel free to follow the podcast and leave a review. The engagement is really appreciated and helps grow the podcast into the future. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Bijan. Well, Bijan, many thanks for joining the podcast. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, in terms of the discussion today, I thought it'd be quite good if we could break it into around two, two or three parts. So what I'd like to start with discussing is around general productivity and you know, lessons that anyone can implement into their lives. Uh, from there, I think maybe we can talk a bit about your own journey in product management and things a bit more specific to the product manager role in particular. From there, we can maybe dive into some forward-looking discussions around AI, which isn't realized right now, but maybe in two, five years, um, you know, the way we think about productivity might be completely different. So I was thinking before the call, uh, I did a bit of research into definitions of productivity and pillars surrounding it. Keen to get your um, view on whether you agree with this or not. But fundamentally, I see productivity as four key pillars. So one is time. Second is energy. Third being concentration. And the fourth, knowledge. What's your definition of productivity? How would you break it down? To me, productivity means, in, in very simple terms, ROI on time. And the reason I'm saying ROI without clarifying what I mean on the top of the equation, denominator, is because it really depends on what you're optimizing for. I'll give you an example. It could mean ROI from a financial perspective on time. It could mean ROI in terms of value created for the world. It could mean ROI in terms of my value generated for the company that I'm working for, or the value that I'm gaining or respect that I'm gaining among my peers in a company. So I think the first thing that we kind of have to do is take a step back and say, what is our objective or what is the thing that we're trying to kind of optimize for? Is it financial success? Is it career growth? Whatever it is. Then from that point on, you could say, okay, this is what productivity means for me. And as a result of that, I have to consider using these tools um, or these um, be connected to this network of peers um, that make me more productive. So I think that's that's my view of on productivity. And I think from there, we can kind of talk about what do I think maybe could be a good set of priorities um, in terms of productivity, like what could be on top of the equation, like what should be the denominator, and how do we determine whether or not we're being productive and how do we make ourselves more productive? So breaking those down then, if you were, let's say, having financial goals as the objective, where do you start? Very good question. And it kind of goes back to now saying, okay, what's my financial goal? Is it for me to get an immediate return, meaning that I want to, let's say, go get a higher paying job that gives me more cash every month? Or do I want to reach a point where I'm financially free and I'm very wealthy, in which case maybe I need to sacrifice in the short term and go for a lower income from a cash perspective 
but in return, make an investment that generates more return in the long run. So I think this is why it's kind of important for us to first say, what are we being productive for? And it's really, I think, an important question to ask ourselves because we do see a lot of people that are constantly busy, but they're running around and it seems like they're not making a lot of progress, at least in their own eyes. And in many cases, it's because maybe they don't have a specific North Star goal that they're aiming towards. And I think in the case of financial uh, finance that we're discussing here, it should be the same thing. We need to think about um, what is our North Star goal um, that we want to be productive for. And I think we could potentially, let's say that uh, we're the kind of person that's willing to think long-term, is willing to go through uh, short-term suffering um, for, let's say, a long-term financial success. And in that case, now productivity all of a sudden takes a different um, set of definition, and it potentially makes you think of different set of activities. Maybe spending significant amount of dollars out of your pocket to gain knowledge from somebody who's an expert in a particular field that allows you to maybe break into the industry or to um, get into a network of people that will give you valuable information or valuable insight in a particular industry, all of a sudden becomes a productive activity because maybe for those few hundred dollars an hour, you're gaining so much value in the long run that um, it justifies it. And all of a sudden, from that lens, when you think about it, it makes sense. It reminds me a bit of the one step backwards, two step forwards. It's that kind of thing, a little bit that mentality and GPS as a kind of example where sometimes Google tells you, turn around, that that's the quickest way forward. Actually, that's the most optimal. That's the most productive. It's an interesting analogy. I would also say maybe thinking about like the mapping and the concept of kind of like finding your direction. Um, I can also give you an example that's a little bit um, opposite to yours, but I think it's worth kind of paying attention to. And the example would be, um, if you know the, the peak of the mountain um, that you're aiming for, and you can see it from a far distance, uh, when you arrive at an intersection, all you have to do, if you don't have a lot of information, is take the direction, take the turn that'll get you closer to the peak of the mountain. Because you know that there's a likelihood that it's the right path. And if it is, you're going to get closer. If it's not, you can come back and then take another path. But I think what's interesting in both cases of both mapping and also you not even knowing uh, what is the right path, but being able to see where you're going is that you're able to find your way eventually because you know where you're going. Can you give an example of a concrete real world thing that that is a good metaphor for? Sure. I think um, you see that a lot in the world of emerging tech, because there are a lot of unknowns that make you feel very uncomfortable, especially when you're trying to learn more about the industry and to decide if you want to break into the space. So there are a couple of ways you can approach this. One way is spend all your time every day trying to study the industry. And because the industry hasn't evolved yet, nobody really knows how things are going to develop you're always sitting on the sidelines and you never actually get a chance to play. Another way to approach it is to just jump right in and build a product, maybe on your own time, and take the first chance that you get to enter the industry because you know that that's going to get you one step closer um, to being a, a more influential person in an emerging technology. So I think this is a really good example of how um, you can kind of feel a little bit liberated um, when you think about it that way and you kind of say, okay, I know this industry or this field um, is very attractive, um, but I don't necessarily know what's the right opportunity for me. I know that this turn will probably get me closer to it. And if it doesn't, I'm going to take a step back and then go further and then find the next turn that gets me closer to my destination. So after you have identified which objective you want to meet in terms of your productivity reason why you want to be productive, what's the next step? 
So I think the next thing that you have to do, this is like where the concept of time comes in, right? And time is, I think, the most scarce thing that exists in the world. That's the one thing that we cannot buy. Um, all the other things we can somehow um, find a way to obtain them, whether it's like energy that you highlighted, uh, concentration, um, and knowledge. But what's important for us to kind of think about is out of all the things that we can do every day, what are the very few things that we could do that will get us closer um, to the objective that we have defined for ourselves? And I think it's important for us to kind of pay attention to um, the the kind of the self aspect of it, because when we we're part of a team, when we're part of um, a bigger project, um, in our social life, um, everybody will have some sort of a perception on what your objective or what your priorities should be. Um, but at the end of the day, even when you think about you being effective in your work, um, you know better, or at least you should know better um, than others, what your objective should be, which will help you decide out of all the things that you can do every day, which are the few things that you're going to focus on to achieve those objectives as quickly as possible. And this is where the concept of time comes in and you having the ability to kind of be very selective, evaluating all the different options and then saying, okay, these are the two or three things that I'm going to do because they're going to make me the most productive in achieving my goal. It's a bit like the Pareto principle, I guess, of doing that 20% of the, uh, the key things that are going to give that 80% of the outcome in particular. Yeah. And, you know, in reality, it's kind of hard to do that because even though we want to, there's always... Um, just like kind of push and pull um, that constantly pulls you in so many different directions. Sometimes it's family, sometimes it's work, sometimes it's other things. Um, it could be guilt. And um, it, it becomes at the end of the day, your responsibility to uh, somehow protect your productivity and uh, to give yourself a chance to achieve your goal before you basically run out of time and energy. Obviously, prioritization is a big part of product managers world but uh speaking a bit more generally still knowing which things to do in that 20 percent, maybe you can speak to that a little bit in terms of prioritization and ways to think about that more generally so i think uh i should also mention that this is a really interesting topic because in my opinion the number one reason that um startups in particular fail is because um, they lack proper prioritization, which results in them running out of money, or in our language, energy, um, before they can achieve their first milestone or their first peak um, that allows them to kind of recharge, do another round of funding to go to the next round. So um, that's why it's so important for especially um, tech companies and startups to think about prioritization. That's what allows them to actually achieve um, and arrive at their destination. So you have to be very selective. The first thing you got to know is to be super clear on what your objective is and where you're trying to go. And one of the tactics that I've seen it being very helpful and some companies like Amazon really embrace that is by writing. Because once you start writing what your objectives are, you kind of have to work through a lot of ambiguity and you have to be super clear on the terminologies and the wording that you're going to be using to define what the success criteria looks like for that destination. Once you're super clear on what your objective is or like where you're trying to go, then out of everything that you have to do, um, you have to evaluate them from that lens, right? And um, there are a couple of things that you kind of have to think about as your evaluation criteria. One, for example, would be um, implementation effort, right? Um, it might be something that's very relevant um, to your objective, but if the implementation effort is so significant um, that basically jeopardizes the whole uh, likelihood of you arriving at your destination, maybe it makes sense for you to deprioritize it. And knowing that allows you to completely kind of put it aside and explain to everybody in your organization or your team why you're doing that. 
Another one that's very important is um, the likelihood, the likelihood of implementation effort. And this is very important, especially in the context of R&D, because you're dealing with a lot of unknown unknowns, and sometimes something takes 10 times larger than others. And you have to kind of take that into consideration when you're trying to get an idea of like what the ROI of these different initiatives are. And of course, you have to think about the impact, right? Um, and typically people um, say impact to the user, but I think in general, it's more about um, impact that allows you to achieve your objective, right? You kind of can take a step back and say, okay, impact to the user, it basically allows me to achieve my objective, uh, whether it's like more active users or like more revenue or like more engagement, whatever it is. Um, but you kind of want to think about it that way. So when you when you kind of take this like formulated approach of thinking, okay, the impact, which would be what's on the denominator on the top, and at the bottom, it's going to be implementation effort. Um, and then you also take into consideration the complexity of it. Um, that allows you to kind of think about, okay, uh, here's the potential um, score or the ratio that I'm going to get from an ROI perspective if I prioritize this. And then you kind of have to compare all of them against the other. And this is where the job of a product manager becomes very important because um, you have to spend a lot of time with the rest of the team to make sure that you as the oracle in the team have a really an accurate understanding of these complexities. For example, is the implementation effort clear to be very hard or very easy, right? Like if somebody in the team thinks it's hard, you need to understand why and make sure that everybody comes to an agreement, right? And this sometimes ends up taking a lot of time because one person maybe has expertise in one area um, that makes them realize it's much harder than others. And you kind of have to spend time to speak through that and realize if their concern is valid or not. Uh, and then throughout that process, uh, what will happen is, um, the, the set of activities or the set of priorities that give you the highest ROI for you to achieve your objective as fast as possible kind of emerge. Um, and some of them are pretty obvious and much of a discussion. Some of the other ones uh, require you to spend a lot of time with the rest of the team to kind of clarify and uh, get on the same page. Um, and then once you have that, then you can kind of be super clear as a team. This is our objective and this is what we're going to focus on. And these are all the things that we're not going to do. This seems obviously very appropriate at the team and the business level. At the individual level, is this still applicable? I think we have to, because like I said, there's so many things that we can do every day as PMs that if we're not protective of our time, even during our um, alone time, um, our time will be occupied pretty quickly and we're going to miss out on some of the big uh, actions. And I think one phrase that I heard once, which I thought was very interesting, um, a bad product manager is the one that tries to please everybody. Um, and a great product manager is the one that's kind of taking the harder path of sticking to what they think is the right set of priorities for good reasons and trying to communicate that and get buying across the organization. And um, this also applies, um, I think, on day-to-day -day when you're kind of spending time on your side, deciding what you're going to focus on, user research, um, writing documentations, um, user testing, um, meetings, and all these other things, right? You kind of have to know what your priorities are to be effective. And um, I think you kind of have to have that like in your brain ingrained and then use some tactics on a day-to-day -day basis that allow you to kind of turn that into a formula that keeps you productive all the time. And, you know, I have like some of those tactics that I've kind of developed over the years that I've found to be very, very helpful in keeping me in the right path. But um, that's, that's how I think about mm. it. Well, I mean, maybe we can dig into some of those tactics then. In terms of how you structure those tactics, do they align to that time, energy, concentration, knowledge pillars, or are they kind of separate from that? Do, do you think in those terms or not? Interesting you say that because the first thing that I do every morning is to spend 30 minutes to an hour reading. And I think it's very important for us to do that because it's the long-term investment that I'm making, right? It doesn't give me immediate ROI, but I know that in the long run gives a high ROI. And I do it in the morning because I know the importance of it. 
So um, I think this is a good example of kind of knowing what your prior, what your objective is. And once you know that, sometimes things that don't seem to be very obvious um, end up taking higher priority. Um, but the way I, I kind of think about it, maybe I can kind of quickly talk to you on how like I stay productive on a day-to-day basis, is uh, you know there's all kinds of things that we can do all day, right? Um, I kind of break them down into three categories at a very high level, right? And um, the three categories are what needs to be done in the morning, what needs to be done in the afternoon, and what needs to be done in general, right? And what needs to be done in the morning are things that give me the highest ROI in the long run. So I'm always prioritizing long-term. And things that basically I need to do, these are hard, they're not necessarily so much fun, they're kind of boring. Um, And it's easier to do them in the morning than in the afternoon or any other time. The stuff that I put in the afternoon are things that still give me a good ROI, but um, it's not the end of the world if they don't get done on that day. And you can basically do them, you know, maybe tomorrow in case things in the morning take too long. And the stuff in general category are things that I have to do them at some point. So it doesn't have to be right away. It could be like one week from now. I actually came up with it um, as a variation of what I, what I learned in a book called The 5 a.m. Club, a book that talks about why you have to wake up very early in the morning to be a lot more productive. Um, I thought it was very effective um, in helping me more, become more productive. Um, so this framing of it, of like kind of knowing what's in the morning, what's in the afternoon, um, and what's basically what needs to be done um, anytime, allows me to kind of think about what my priorities are on a daily basis. But then the next thing that I do is that while thinking about my priorities, I plan my day ahead of time. And the reason it's very important to plan your day on an hour-by-hour basis ahead of time is because it ensures that you don't end up spending too much time on one particular task that could have been done maybe in a shorter period of time. So that's kind of how I manage the duration. I, I force myself to try to be also very productive with my time because I know I have finite time for getting something done. Um, and then I just like kind of work through the tasks throughout the day. And every day I revisit my list of priorities. And then from there, I create my schedule for the next day. So I'm in the 5am club, the, uh, I think it's the concept of 20, 20, 20, uh, which is that wake up at five o'clock. The first 20 minutes is that intense exercise, right? I think it's, yeah, just get your body moving get your heart rate up, start the day that way. And then the next 20 minutes is the planning and sort of reflection, visualizing the day. And then that third piece is the, the, the growth, the education. I'm not sure about the exercise, if, if that's fair to say, if you, if you are or not, but, um, yeah, it sounds like a kind of variation of that. Yeah, so I actually do the exercise first thing in the morning as well. So now I'm at 6 a.m. in the morning. I'm Six, still right. <laughs> trying to get it to five. And it's typically hard in the context of, you know, then you have to pretty much go to bed at nine o'clock, which is, which is a little bit hard. Um, but that's the direction that I'm going for. But yes, um, I personally like to spend more than 20 minutes on exercise and um, 20 minutes on reading. So um, yes, I do have a variation of it. I thought um, the um, 5 a.m. club approach was a little bit uh, too strict and you kind of have to go from one task to the next one like really quickly and you don't really get to enjoy the day as well. Uh, so I've, I've modified it a little bit, but um, the fundamentals are the same. Like you got to start first thing in the morning uh, with exercising and, and then give some time to um, reflect. And uh, after that, um, spend some time to read and uh, then get your day started. I think particularly if you're in a relationship and your partner is not also adhering to the 5am club, it's probably <laughs> problematic there too. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's hard because you got to convince now another person to also be yeah. willing to go to bed early and wake up early. Yeah, I, th- I think the principles are sound. I'm not completely sold on the need to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to, to do that personally. I think you, you can wake up later still do that kind of structure and be very productive. Some other tactics from my side, keen to get your thoughts and add any additional ones, but I think time blocking, it works really well for me. So going to my calendar each week at the start and saying, right, I know I need to do these tasks. I'm just going to send myself an appointment, invite just me in Outlook, taking that time so people can't overbook you, double book you, et cetera. 
Um, I think that's a really good thing to do. And I have seen also others do as a function in Outlook, which allows you to only send and receive emails every hour, or you, you can choose your frequency. Um, but if you're able to do that and you don't have to be on call, that's quite a good way to keep that concentration pillar going as well. Anything else on that, maybe the time side that you, you can offer into that as well? Yeah. So I think uh, one thing that I also like is to pick um, the three big things that you want to get done um, during the week ahead of time. This, I thought, was a pretty good way of um, you being focused also throughout the week. And like you basically having another kind of mini milestone um, before you start the week. Because, um, you know, there's so much planning at the end of the day. All, there's always unpredictable things happening, especially in the world of product managers. Mm. So um, I find that to be very helpful. And another thing that um, I found very helpful is to really leveraging, um, you know, tools um, that are out there as much as possible um, to make yourself more productive. So the combination of these two, I feel that um, give you some additional um, edge. And sometimes when you're in a large organization, there's like a bit of a pushback on uh, adopting new technology and uh, becoming more productive because there's always concern with privacy. But at the end of the day, um, you need to find a way to persevere and uh, take advantage of the tools that make you more productive. I guess just going through the other pillars then on the the energy and concentration side, I think the biggest game changer for me was when I regularly started going to the gym. It was just amazing how much more energy I had in the day and you know, I was doing cold showers before that. I was trying to eat more healthily, but it fundamentally came down to just moving my body, exercising very regularly, you know, once every day or once every two days. And that, that was the biggest thing. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, um, even from a medical perspective, they say it's the um, best medicine for um, anti-aging, for anything that you can imagine, dealing with, you know, you losing cognitive abilities in the long run or muscle mass being at a higher likelihood of having a heart attack. Um, exercising helps with everything. Um, the tricky part is how do you turn that into a routine? And um, I found for myself, and this is something that I've learned from my father, uh, who's 82 and uh, he's very healthy and uh, he's been exercising since he was 30. He still goes hiking and he goes swimming every week. Um, he told me his trick was um, he made the rule uh, to himself that He's not going to start his day and he's not going to have his breakfast until he exercises. And um, it kind of turned it into a habit for him. So he does it every day. Some days, if he's very busy, he does 15 minutes. In other days, he will spend an hour, and a, an hour and a half. Um, and uh, it's been a very effective way for him to kind of maintain his health. I think that's, that's kind of something for us to keep in mind because we're very busy. And um, I think I saw like one clip long time ago from... <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger and like he had like this really short clip he's like people keep saying I don't have time for the gym I don't have time for exercising like look if the president of the United States has time to go to the gym you have to have time to go to the gym <laughs> so I thought it was a very interesting um, kind of way of looking at it it's just like a matter of priorities and like you know depending on what your goals are if your goal is to be healthy in the long run if your goal is to be able to be proactive productive throughout the day right? Um, exercising seems to be one of those things that really delivers that. So how do you turn something that's not necessarily as much fun uh, into a daily activity? Uh, you got to kind of add it into some sort of routine um, that, um, you know, kind of stops your day if you don't complete that one task. And that's like kind of what my father has been telling me to do. And I've started following it, which is like do it first thing in the morning before you even have breakfast. I think that's something else in the 5am club, Robin Sharma, I think the name is, touches upon, which is that I think 66 days, right, is the key in terms of the length of time it takes to start something new, which is maybe breaking from a routine and habit you have, you know, that neuroplasticity has taken effect. Probably the same with the gym, you know, once you've done it for a month or two, it is absolutely just part of your life. We're creatures of habit and the more we do it, the easier it gets. So on the concentration side, apart from black coffee and energy drinks, <laughs> other concentration through the day. I mean, what, what sort of tactics do you look at? I think one thing that's really helpful is like really knowing your priorities, honestly. I think that's the number one thing because that allows you to kind of like concentrate. 
And another thing that you mentioned, like alongside with priorities, is like really allocating time uh, for each of those tasks. Turning off notifications, yes, um, I've done that. And I realized that as time went by, people became more and more comfortable with the idea that Bijan doesn't reply um, right away because his notifications are always off. And uh, yeah, then exercising also helps. I, I personally feel that your eating habits have an impact on concentration, especially if you have um, a lunch that's very heavy, like carb heavy or like um, meat heavy. Um, that'll impact your concentration afterwards. So I try to avoid that as well. And I found that that's pretty helpful. So avoid pasta at lunchtime, basically. Stay away from that. (laughs) Anything else on the knowledge side as well in terms of tactics? I mean, podcasts are honestly like a great way for us to also like kind of constantly improve our knowledge i think um, especially if you're exercising like listening to a podcast is a great way i have like my kind of annual objectives on like how many books i'm going to read and i find that to be also like again a pretty good way of um, achieving them as you can see i'm very like kind of number driven i find numbers and like milestones to be the easiest way for me to remember what my priorities are Um, and another thing that sometimes it's uh, it's hard to kind of remember to do it is like being part of a community um, that's very relevant in the particular area um, that you're interested in like gaining more knowledge on Um, so there's like a lot of good communities so for example like um, I'm part of a couple different product manager communities that um, help me really gain a lot of knowledge in one of the previous podcasts I spoke to Alina Verbenchuk who was a ex-Google product manager and uh, she kind of went on a journey of learning more technical knowledge in product management specifically. One of the recommendations she gave was asking ChatGPT, what, what are the essential things to know about if you want to become a technical product manager? It gives you that list. You go to YouTube, you just type in those topics, find out the best rated videos around those topics, create a playlist, and then just work through them. Um, you know, There's so many resources out there which are a good starting point, at least, in terms of free resources. And then you can kind of dive into deeper and maybe utilize some other paid stuff as well. Yeah, and I think um, you brought up ChatGPT, which is a really interesting tool also um, for knowledge. I heard like Sam Altman also recently say that he's finding out that education is one of those like, kind of top three use cases of ChatGPT. And um, I do the same thing. I remember a few months ago, I was like providing some advisory to a heavy R&D-based project. And uh, this was uh, pretty tricky for me because I don't have a lot of knowledge, but I had some kind of relevant experience that uh, made us decide that it makes sense for us to engage in some sort of an advisory. And uh, the time that it took me to catch up with what what they were doing was like, I think, less than 10% of what it would have typically taken me. Uh, Because I just used ChatGPT to kind of like quickly uh, help me catch up on different um, technical terms. Um, without me having to wait for somebody to reply back to me. So that's another thing for us to kind of think about um, as a really good tool for us to get quick answers to any question that we might have, especially when we're trying to learn more about a particular like technical term um, that has a clear definition out there. Um, but when you Google search, you get like you know thousands of um, answers, some of them being too long, um, that uh, it will take you too long to actually review them and get a good answer from Maybe, yeah, moving on then to your journey a little bit uh, through product management, where you started uh, to where you are now, and maybe along the way, you know, some of the lessons you've learned and we can kind of pick those apart a bit. Absolutely. So uh, I'm an accidental product manager. I was running a startup for a while, um, about 10 years ago, and the startup wasn't really um, growing so much. And we had a few good users and a few enterprise clients, but uh, we kind of decided that it's time to move on. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. Um, I was really kind of sharing this concern with my friend. Um, I don't know what I want to do next. You know, the startup is not working. And he said, oh, you have to be a, you have to become a product manager. And at the time, um, what's interesting is I didn't really know what a product manager does, but it just sounded very, it just resonated with me. It sounded like that's exactly what I wanted to do. So um, I ended up applying for product manager jobs and 
um, updated my resume so that it highlighted uh, my experience in the context of product management. Um, and then from there on, I've kind of been in this journey of growing in the product field. The last company that I worked for before going full-time on uh, my own venture um, was a project that um, I, I helped them launch and we reached $3 billion market valuation. Uh, so hopefully, um, you know, that's, that kind of speaks to some of the product skills that I developed along the way. Um, but now I'm spending a lot of time um, giving back also to the uh, PM community through um, a community of over 100,000 product managers that we've built over the years at PM exercises and also a productivity tool um, that we've created for the product manager community. Expand a bit more on what PM exercises does and uh, the, the latest venture, which I believe is called Product Monkey. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think it's interesting at the end of the day, what really grows like as a business or um, as a venture is like what makes your clients more productive, right? And the reason those kinds of things pick up is because you're you're basically enabling them to get more bang for their buck. They spend three hours, but they're getting the value of like eight hours, and therefore they make more money. Um, they're willing to share some of that with you by paying you a fee. So that's really what it comes down to, right? Um, so with PM exercises, I was like preparing for a PM job interview uh, with a company in the Bay Area. I was a startup, and I was kind of struggling with knowing how to prepare for the interview. So I ended up creating a website. First version was a WordPress site that just posted an interview question, had an answer, shared it on uh, Reddit, and people said, this is great. So then from there on, we kept building PM exercises, and now it's reached a point where we have over 100,000 product managers in the community. Um, they help each other prepare for their product manager job interviews. Uh, we have alumni in every single top tech company that you can imagine, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Airbnb, Uber, um, any company that you can imagine, um, we have alumni members there. And um, throughout PM exercises, we also offer um, a variety of services now. So for example, we have a cohort on the topic of AI product management. Uh, it's the most comprehensive AI product management uh, program that you can find out there. Um, currently, we're running um, a 10-week AI product management community session uh, where hundreds of people attend. They exchange ideas. They talk about the latest trends. Sometimes CEOs of AI startups come in and like, kind of share their vision and like kind of have a very good engaging conversation with the community. Um, and this all goes back to um, training people to become uh, better product managers, at least um, through my lens of um, and other experts' lens of like, you know, what's the right way for you to um, approach a problem or prioritize solutions or um, use AI in your day-to-day -day job and things like that. So that's really more for like kind of career development. Uh, PM Exercises has been doing that for about five years now. And uh, especially when um, ChatGPT came out, that was like kind of the aha moment for, I think, a lot of us. I'm seeing that, oh, okay, AI is finally here in a way that's actually useful and could be used as a utility. So ProductMonkey uh, basically enables product managers to be more productive by automating 80% of the task of creating uh, product requirement docs and engineering task tickets. The idea came to me because I struggled with finding time to create these documents. Uh, I was a pretty busy product manager um, in all my previous roles. And at the same time, um, I, I saw firsthand that a lot of the struggling teams, um, especially in tech startups, were companies that lacked clarity on what needs to be prioritized and what should not be prioritized. And this ended up creating the situation where um, the engineering team spent all their time constantly building, improving, adding one more feature, doing scope creeping, uh, to the point where they pretty much like run out of cash um, before they could actually get some sort of attraction and the kid any milestone. So this, this was something that uh, I felt will, if we can address it as an industry, it will bring significant um, value um, to the ecosystem of technology startups and um, larger companies also. Like we have clients now from even large, much larger companies. 
Um, so we started Product Monkey with that vision. Like the idea is you pretty much like with a couple clicks, you can even submit just like your Figma link or you can upload a couple of JPEG files. And we extract all the images um, from those links or the images. We extract all the context from them. Um, we ask you a couple of questions to better understand what part of this uh, set of images you want us to focus on. And then we create detailed tickets and product requirement docs that you can also e easily manipulate to turn them into what's ideal for you. So in fact, you can like with a click, delete a particular line, or you can regenerate a ticket by providing some additional guidance to the AI. Um, or you can share it with other team members so they can give you more feedback, or you can save them so you can come back to them. Um, so my, my goal with Product Monkey AI is to basically bring as much clarity as possible um, to the scope of a project without penalizing the product managers for doing that. This also makes me think of, you know, on one hand, you have this really saving people's time and, you know, laborious activity, writing tickets, developing PRDs, this sort of thing, which is obviously extremely important and an essential part of typical product development in companies. But it creates a tension, which I'm keen to pick a bit and get your thoughts on, which is if I take the view of, let's say, mainstream media, they would view it as AI is taking our jobs. Um, on the other hand, you've got, well, it's going to be a lot more productive to do this. You know, I can do more things with my time or that sort of thing. So what are your thoughts on that tension between productivity and I suppose redundancy? Those of us who won't leverage new productivity tools will become redundant. And that's because the value that employers will get from our time will be significantly less than those um, that um, embrace productivity tools. And I think you can already see signs of it. Like if you are currently like a hiring manager uh, for an um, engineering role, like a software engineer who's writing code, um, if that individual doesn't use any tools like um, GitHub Copilot, and they're literally lining every, they're writing every single line of code um, by themselves, you know that the number of lines of code that they can get per hour is much less than somebody who embraces AI tools. They're still hiring software engineers. Um, they're just hiring more productive software engineers. So I think that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, we as humans have never, after solving like a really, really big problem, like let's say food, through agriculture, right? If revolution, um, or like you know, industrial revolution. We never said, okay, great, everything is done. Now we're gonna go home and sit and do nothing. All we have done is we've said, okay, great, this problem is solved. Now, because we solved this problem, we can do 10 other things which have their own set of challenges that we need to go and address. And I think a good example that I can kind of think about is like today. We're all struggling with just like kind of getting our foot into the Mars, right? Um, but the, once you solve that one problem of us getting to Mars, then you have a thousand other problems to solve, right? How do you live there? Like, how do you keep it warm? Like, maybe back and forth, the resources, all kinds of stuff, right? So um, that's, that's how I think about it. I think um, there are unlimited number of problems for us to solve. Because um, we as humans are constantly trying to get better, 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 improve our quality of life. Um, and uh, the only way that we can survive is by embracing these tools so that we stay relevant. People are a bit concerned about privacy and you know, security of data and that sort of thing. So maybe you can touch upon what you're doing specifically around that security of the data that you're receiving from people in, in that sense. And um, any other thoughts around just that privacy and security aspect of generative AI? Some of the concern is valid and some of them is not. Um, I think one way to kind of think about AI tools and AI models is how we trust cloud computing services today uh, without thinking, oh, like if I upload my file into Amazon, they're going to go and sell my file to my competitors, right? Um, so that's kind of one way to think about it. But, you know, for example, in the context of Product Monkey AI, right? Um, what sort of images can you upload um, that would allow me to go and monetize it by selling it to your competitors? Like most of the images are 
well, pretty much all of them are UI-related images, like you improving an existing user flow. I mean, those things are not like so hard for a competitor to think about on their own, right? Um, so at least I can speak to it um, in the context of our world and say, what can I do with that information, right? The only thing that I can do is like kind of make sense of it and then send it back to you. Maybe one thing I can do is to look at patterns of what people are uploading and what they're liking, right, in terms of like the outputs that I'm generating, and then kind of use that as a way to improve the quality of the replies for everybody. But that's not any different than how we operate today. So, for example, if you go to a grocery store, they've done a lot of research on um, where every single item in the grocery store should be placed at. They've looked at the data and they've said, okay, you know, we know where people buy the milk and therefore we're going to place it here because it's going to maximize the revenue. Mm. So um, we're, that that's kind of one thing to keep in mind is, um, at least in the context of Product One KA, I think that concerns are valid. Um, there is this concern um, in the world of especially R&D where there's a kind of deep, like highly technical concepts and that you've come up with, that you've discovered, um, that you're worried if I provide it um, as input to an AI and it could be used for training purposes, then that knowledge is kind of democratized and shared with everybody. Then I think your concerns in that case um, are should be handled through the typical channels that have been handled in the past. For example, if you have that kind of information, you don't make it easily available on the web because you know the scraping websites uh, would take that information, publish it everywhere, right? Um, before you upload it anywhere, um, your security team looks at whether or not um, the terms and conditions on that website and the reputation of that company and their procedures are following the right practices to protect your IP. Um, so I think we can actually apply um, a lot of the um, kind of IP principles that we have today uh, to address the privacy concerns that exist for the world of AI, at least based on what's been developed so far. You know, maybe a few years from now, we'll live in a world where an AI agent is intelligent enough that could be instructed to go in, like, steal information from this particular uh, entity, uh, which is kind of a very hypothetical situation. I don't even know when we're going to be there. Um, so I think it's kind of hard to think about that scenario, but more about um, you providing some IP um, to an AI to get some reply. Is there concern? Well, you got to think two things. One, um, what can they do with that information? How can they sell it to others? Um, is it just like kind of selling the raw information to others? Right? Is there value in that? Um, and then two, um, if you're concerned about it being used as uh, as part of a training model, right? Um, have you gone through the rigorous process of like reviewing the vendor um, to make sure um, that uh, you can trust them with your sensitive data? So I guess other AI tools, obviously Product Monkey is one, which sounds great in terms of saving time in PRDs and uh, user user story writing. But any other products um, that you're not necessarily involved with, but you use on a day-to-day basis that you could recommend? So I think there are a few tools that are emerging um, for note-taking in meetings that um, I find them to be very helpful, especially for us as product managers where uh, typically we're running a meeting and we're supposed to kind of take note. Um, I think that's a very good tool. That's one thing that um, I really like. For day-to-day, to be honest, personally, I like uh, Bing Chat more than ChatGBT. I find it to be more relevant, especially because it takes kind of the latest context into consideration. It's kind of a combination of like a search of real-time data plus ChatGPT. Other than that, like in terms of like something that kind of turns into routine, I think not for myself, but I know a lot of engineers that are heavily relying on AI first IDEs that basically have like deeply integrated ChatGPT into an IDE environment where they're writing code. I think one of them that uh, we're using and we're finding it very interesting is called Cursor. And uh, you're going to see more and more of those kinds of tools. So that's very exciting. Any particular books that you'd recommend? Um, It doesn't have to be product management specifically, but anything else beyond obviously the 5am club we talked about? 
Yeah, like, I mean, there's one book that I really liked. I think um, it's not necessarily so much about um, productivity, um, but I think it actually, you can think about it that you can think about it in a way and say it is because it actually tells you what you need to focus on, right? What sort of problems you need to address. The book Mom's Test talks about um, how you identify the right problems as a product manager to focus on. And it's more about instead of um, trying to discover your user's wish list, try to really deeply understand their behavior and their interactions with your product um, or a competing problem product. And then throughout that kind of observation of their understanding, you'll be able to discover events that represent painful experiences. And then you can go and address those painful experiences uh, with technology and basically create um, a product that your customers love. Any final thoughts that you would like to leave people with? Maybe three to five things that if they're going to take away anything from this podcast, you'd really like them to really you know, sink into their heads. Sure. So I think um, the one thing that I will say first is AI is where we're going to see the biggest jump in productivity over the next few years. So embrace that. Um, two, in my opinion, waking up early in the morning, that's very helpful. At least I've experienced it in both ways. Waking up late, waking up early, seems more productive. Um, three, having a um, schedule ahead of time on what you're going to get done on a day allows you to manage how much time you spend on things. Four, think about the power of community and network as a way to stay more productive and gaining access to very important information, whether it's trends or um, insight that help you become more productive. Um, and uh, yeah, that would, those are the four that I would say are very important. Great. The only other one I would add to that maybe is uh, having your mobile phone in a different room than you're in. I think that's quite a good one as well. <laughs> yeah. So. That's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, Bajan, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating and um, lots of ideas and knowledge for people to process and hopefully take some of those productivity uh, concepts into their daily lives and become more productive as a result. So thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you on online and uh, Product Monkey and yourself? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Bijan underscore SHA. So S as Sam, H as in Henry, A as in Apple. So uh, just follow me there. And uh, you can also join our community at productmanagementexercises.com. Uh, we do have a free community uh, package that still gives you access to um, 80% of things that we do, and you're going to find a lot of value in it. Great. Well, um, yeah, thanks again, and uh, speak soon. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to the Product Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to follow on your preferred podcast platform and leave a review. It's really appreciated and helps grow the podcast into the future. And I'll see you in the next episode.